Well, I think just to realize that for the ALS Association and all of the community who do things like go to the advocacy day and go talk to people on the Hill, they really want data. They want to know what the experiences are like, and this will this will arm those advocates with information that will be really helpful. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Connecting ALS. I am one of your hosts, Mike Stevenson, and joining me via the power of technology is my co-host, Jeremy Holden. Hello, Jeremy, and how has your week gone? Everything according to plan or? Hey, oh, yeah, everything going according to plan. Uh, good to be with you today, Mike. As always, it's a good week and looking forward to, to finish strong. I think, you know, we've got a, a strong conversation that we're bringing our listeners today, so I'm looking forward to that. It's a very content-rich episode, probably one of the most robust we've done in a while. And we were able to connect with some folks involved with the ALS Association's ALS Focus Survey Program. And the results from the first round of surveys are in. And we heard from Focus Director Dr. Sarah Parvanta about some key takeaways from the responses that came in. We also spoke to two members of the Focus Patient and Caregiver Advisory Committee about their involvement in creating the surveys and why they believe there's much to be learned uh, from this program. And Jeremy, all three of our guests, Dr. Parvanta, John Robinson, and Laura Polari-Welbus, seemed highly optimistic about what this data can teach us. Absolutely. Also really struck by the plan going forward. You know, the second survey is already recruiting participants. And, you know, we can, of course, share in the show notes. The listeners can just head over to the show notes and figure out how they can get involved. And I, and I think all three really kind of drove home the point that participation is necessary, that future surveys are only going to benefit from robust participation uh, from all of the ALS community. That's absolutely right. And there is a lot to be learned from this data. And the more we know, the better we'll be able to serve the ALS community and, and shape uh, care and support in the future. There's a lot to get into in these three interviews, so we won't delay any further. Let's listen back now. We are joined now by Dr. Sarah Parvanta, the director of the ALS Focus Survey Program. Dr. Parvanta, thanks uh, for being with us today on Connecting ALS. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, we're really, really excited to talk to you. We have much that we want to cover with you today, and we're certainly going to get into the data and some of the findings that have come out of the initial round of surveys. But I'm betting there's a portion of our audience that may not yet be super familiar with the program. So could you start with a, a quick summary of what exactly ALS Focus is and what you hope to accomplish? Yes, absolutely. ALS Focus is a survey program, and it's for people with ALS, current caregivers, and past caregivers. And this program hosts a series of surveys on different topics, and, and each of these topics is meant to gauge the needs and the preferences and opinions of both people with ALS and caregivers, because their experiences are definitely most important we need to understand those when designing clinical trials, creating ALS policies, and trying to improve care. We need to know what the needs are of this community specifically. And so we're using surveys because survey research is one of the best ways to get an accurate picture of what's going on in a community. And so by surveying large groups of people, 
we can gain a more precise set of evidence and data on what the real needs are in this community. So what did we learn? We have the results from the first survey. You know, what jumped out at you? What are the top lines? And what are we going to start bringing to our partners to help inform the work going forward? I should first explain that our first survey for ALS Focus had 400 or so people who participated, and those included people with ALS, current caregivers, and past caregivers. And in that group of about 400 people, we found that a quarter of them, 25%, said they had to borrow money or they face debt after ALS, either their own ALS diagnosis or needing to provide care for someone who received ALS, that this group in our sample were facing those kinds of financial burdens. So this result definitely stood out to us. That's a large percentage of the sample. And in addition to that, we also found that a quarter of people said they had to work longer than they were originally planning to because of an ALS diagnosis. Again, because of their being diagnosed themselves or they needed to provide care. And in many cases, those people who needed to work longer said that they had to do so in order to keep health insurance. And this kind of result suggests that people are facing really inconvenient and unfeasible work-related requirements, even when they need to be taking time to care for themselves or provide care for someone who's just been diagnosed with this disease. So that finding also stood out to our um, team of researchers. I'm sure. Yeah. And, you know, Sarah, you touch on those findings and, you know, you mentioned that it may not seem surprising. Talk a little bit about the value, though, of getting data back that, you know, may answer the question the way that you anticipated having it answered, but there's still value in in knowing that and having that data to kind of back up the assumption that maybe someone like me brought to the table. What's the value of having that data to, to support that assumption? I think there are many different ways that these data provide value. One is that we don't need to talk about financial burdens in general. We can really drill down into what kind of shape those financial burdens take on. In this case, borrowing money, facing debt, working longer than planned. And so if we know that those specific kinds of experiences are happening, that's where advocacy efforts, policy efforts, those can all be designed to tackle those kind of specific issues that people are facing. So there may be a variety of financial burdens that could someone potentially could face, but through our survey, we can find which ones are percolating to the top. And those are the ones that require perhaps more immediate attention. And then we can you know, do even more work and say, okay, we have found data. We know what we have to do in terms of this first set of financial burdens. Now, what's the next step after that? I do think that data itself is extremely important to policymakers. We need data to inform change. So this can involve changes in programs, in policies, in care services. If people have a sense and really have some concrete numbers, 
to rely on, they can be reassured that the efforts and the time and the resources that they're spending are going to help address those numbers that they've seen from survey data like this. So I think we hear all the time about the burdens of patients and families, but sharing clear data will help influence policymakers who are writing legislation, for example, to improve quality of life. And in the case of the last survey, to impact insurance access for people with ALS and families. So concrete data really makes those policymakers and those people writing legislation much more likely to listen to what we have to say about the needs in, in this community. That's right. And, and I do think one of the best features of this program is clearly that you are using this data in that way and sharing it with insurance companies, ALS researchers, legislators to use it as evidence so that they can apply it to the future of ALS care and support. And that said, having all that data available is so important. But one of the things that sometimes causes hesitation for folks getting involved with survey programs is how their data will be used. And I know that focus data is so secure and protective of privacy, but can you just talk a little bit about that for our listeners in the way that we keep personal details and information private in the survey process? Yes, absolutely. As a survey designer, participant privacy is really important to me. And also, this is a research study, which means we had to submit all of the different study protocols to an institutional review board so that they could make sure this study didn't introduce unnecessary risks to participants. And one of those risks being a breach of privacy. ALS Focus is an online survey platform, and what's involved is participants who decide that they want to take surveys are able to register and create a private password of their own, and then they create what's called a neurological unique global identifier, which is a long word for an alphanumeric code, letters and numbers, that is tied to any participant's responses. So we're never attaching their name to their responses. Once they create this unique identifier, any of their information that they entered basically disappears. So they have to enter their name and a birth date. And this is all helps to create this unique identifier, but we don't keep that personal information. Okay. We then just have this kind of a random string of letters and numbers. So that's one way to protect participant privacy. The other is that when taking these surveys, again, they're logged into a portal using their own password and only a, a small group of people has access to that portal. So we don't actually know who participants are when we're analyzing the data that they have entered in their survey responses. We just get a set of data and there are no names or other information attached to that. Similarly, when we present results, none of the results have people's names or anything about where they live or other kinds of information that might be identifying. And eventually, one of the great parts of ALS Focus is that data from these surveys will be free and open to the public, which is kind of unusual. 
But what we do before we make those data sets available is we ensure that all of the information is de-identified. There's no responses that might tie back to who someone is. So we have several different layers to help protect participant privacy here. What's in store for the next survey? What's the general direction you'll be taking in the next survey? Yeah, the new ALS-focused survey is on what matters most to people with ALS. And we selected this survey topic working with a committee of people with ALS and caregivers, as well as the rest of our broader ALS-focused collaborative effort with academic researchers, government health agencies, and pharmaceutical experts. All of these different stakeholders help to contribute to the topic of this next survey, and we'll do so moving forward. And we chose what matters most because what matters to people with ALS becomes very relevant when developing drug therapies, clinical trials, and taking action at the policy level. So we want to know what kinds of symptoms of ALS are most impactful on the daily lives of people who are living with this disease. And so we're using a survey that's actually developed by Dr. Chad Heatwall and his research team at the University of Rochester. So it's an evidence-based survey that they have designed after a series of different kinds of research studies. And that way we know we're using really good questions that will give us reliable responses. And this survey asks about ALS symptoms and what kinds of impact those symptoms have on people's daily lives. But this survey isn't only for people living with ALS, it's also for caregivers. And so caregivers can take this survey too and share their experiences on which symptoms seem to matter most to the people that they care for. It's a really short survey in this second round of ALS focus. And once people sign up and register and tell us a little bit more about their demographics, they can then complete this survey and it should only take a couple of minutes for them. Thanks for laying it out. It it seems like a really logical approach and a valuable one, as you said, figuring out what's most important to those living with ALS so that we can put that information to use and best serving the community. Before we let you go, you mentioned earlier financial burden and some of the other pieces you've been able to glean from the initial set of data. Are there actionable items coming out of your analysis in that first round for both the ALS Association and the ALS community as a whole? Or are you waiting until you have a larger data set from future surveys before you start putting that information to use? Yeah, I think it's probably all of the above. So I think any individual survey itself will have insights that can inform action. And then over time, there are certain measures and insights that we can gain in what we call a longitudinal type of research or over time research to see see how things are changing. So I think there's a lot of different ways that we can use the data from ALS-focused surveys to inform change and then also because these data will be available to other researchers, a whole host of new questions and ideas and actions can come out of the data, even beyond the ones that we have been thinking about. So I do think that 
in terms of this, the first survey on insurance needs and financial burdens, some of the actions that can be taken are likely more at the policy level, the insurance policy level, especially thinking about what kinds of costs people have to cover after an ALS diagnosis, what kinds of costs they're facing as caregivers and needing to focus their efforts on providing care rather than maybe the type of job that they had before. So there's definitely some data that we plan to put together that we can then use to help policymakers and people writing legislation have a set of concrete numbers that they can then design their legislation around. That makes a lot of sense. Dr. Parvanta, if there's any sort of closing message that you want our listeners to take away from our conversation about the Focus Survey program, what would you say to them about the importance of what we're learning here from this program? I definitely want to underscore how incredibly valuable it is to have people with ALS and caregivers participate in these ALS focused surveys because their experiences combined with the experiences of other people facing the same challenges in their community, they have strength in numbers as they come together. We can learn about individual experiences, but when we start to see numbers across large groups of people, we can really gain insights about what are the needs? What are the challenges? Where should we focus our efforts? Because that's what's showing up in this community in large numbers. So I really want to thank people who have participated in the first ALS focus survey and invite them to come back and invite new participants for the second ALS focus survey so that we can continue to prioritize what their needs and preferences and opinions are, what they believe is the most important to the work that we do. Well, thank you again so much, Dr. Sarah Parvanta, uh, Director of ALS Focus, for joining us on Connecting ALS to talk about the value of this program and some of the things that we're learning as this data comes in. We definitely want to have you back down the road to talk about more of the findings from future rounds of Focus Surveys. Thank you. Yes, definitely. I would be more than happy to come back and talk about results as we gain them and gain insights from them in the future. And I should also just mention that ALS Focus is the culmination of a lot of work from a lot of different people and most importantly, our committee of people with ALS and caregivers. And so I want to make sure that I thank them for all of the work that they've done thus far. And we'll just keep moving forward and growing this set of data and designing surveys that are important to this community. Well, it is an honor to be joined on the phone at the moment by retired and decorated military service officer, John Robinson. Hello, John, and thanks for being with us on Connecting ALS. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good to be with you and Jeremy today. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time, John. And looking over your bio and, and your career, I think the best way to describe your life's work is in more than three decades of distinguished service. You were a leader in the United States Joint Forces for most of your career and received the Legion of Merit, the Bronze Star Medal, and several meritorious service medals. Can you tell our listeners how you ended up participating in the ALS Focus program? That's a great question because 
It was certainly not intentional. In the twilight of my Army career, I discovered that I'd been hit with ALS myself, and that that's certainly a real eye-opener. We, we won't mince words about it. Having ALS is simply not compatible with military service. You simply can't do both. There's a physicality to being a soldier. And so I guess I was fortunate because I had certainly put in more than a full career, and I had a lot of good memories, and, and I felt like I had made a modest impact. And so to be hit at that point in your career towards the twilight is certainly more beneficial, if I could use that word, than unfortunately some other service members who are struck much earlier in their career. But as I was, and as I saw that as a natural pivot point to look to retirement, I began to try to answer some questions. I think questions that all ALS patients have when they're first diagnosed. And as your disease progresses, you you try to figure out what if and what's next. And mm. in that sense, as the ALS Focus Project developed last year, I saw that as an opportunity to help answer some questions for others and and to use my experience not only as a veteran, but as someone who had ALS while he was still serving in the military, to be able to bring that perspective to ALS focus and to help them answer questions and sometimes gently steer those questions or or the focus of ALS focus into something that would benefit veterans and of mm, course mm. those still serving i i think as you fellows know one out of every six als patients is a veteran in fact as you probably also heard you're twice as likely to be diagnosed with als if you've served as for those who have never served though those are those are eye opening numbers we don't have the answers as to why that's so but we do understand that veterans make up a, a pretty healthy proportion of the ALS patient population. And to the extent that I could help ALS focus, answer some of these questions for the benefit of research and advocacy, and of course, for legislative fixes for our decision makers, I'm happy to do that. Walk us through some of the mechanics. We've got, having gone through this for, for several months, you know, what, what, what was it like being part of ALS Focus? Well, I, I couldn't be happier with the collaborativeness and the team play. You know, again, as a service member, you're, you're just part of a big team. And I really appreciate the team play and the collaboration on ALS Focus. We've, we've got a number of different representatives from, <laughs> frankly, all walks of life, academia, research, the veterans, of course. You could just go down the line. And then there are advocacy experts and folks who understand how to build surveys and that sort of thing. 
and everybody is coming together with a common purpose, and that is to focus our understanding, ask some very detailed questions, get those answers, and then most importantly, use those answers to help prepare our research efforts, the regulatory efforts, insurance authorities, just trying to provide the insights we learn from ALS Focus to all of those efforts. Folks on on the outside looking in may initially look at ALS Focus and say, well, it appears that ALS Focus is about creating surveys. Well, I've filled out a number of surveys. This just seems to be another one. And what we want everyone to understand is that there is a purpose behind the surveys that ALS Focus is generating. We've put a lot of thought into the questions that we're asking, but we've also put a lot of thought into the outcomes that we get from these surveys. We're not trying to answer questions to fill up a database someplace on the cloud and just let that information sit. We're already identifying avenues where we can take this information, share it with the insurance industry so that we can help them get better and be more responsive. Share this with our legislators so that they can craft better bills that are more responsive to the needs of ALS patients and share this with researchers and scientists Mm -hmm. so that they understand what it's like from an ALS patient's point of view. Yeah, I think that is one of the best features and outcomes uh, from this ongoing program is that all of this data will be shared and accessible and open to those communities because, as you said, the more that we can give to the insurance industry, to ALS research, the better equipped they'll be to help us solve some of these mysteries and also better provide care and service to those living with the disease. So it isn't just another run-of-the-mill survey. It is vital data that's going to be used uh, in in shaping the future of ALS care and support. Thank you for describing it in that way, John. I guess more directly for those that are on the fence about getting involved with ALS Focus and taking some of these surveys and providing this information, those living with ALS uh, as well as their family members, what would you say to them? uh, And you just laid out a compelling case, but what would you say to them in kind of a a 45 second elevator pitch about here's why it's important that I think you get involved with with focus. I can do that best by answering the questions that I pose within the ALS focus every day, every week that we meet. And that is first, is this secure? And the answer is yes. ALS focus has worked very hard to ensure that the data that we collect and the way we share it maintains the security for persons that contribute. The second is, is this information going to be used now and for what purpose? And I think I've laid that case out, but to be pointed about it, we're going to use this information now and we've already begun to do that 
and we have specific folks that we want to share this information with to make a difference in ALS patients' lives, legislators, insurance executives, researchers, and scientists. So there is an immediate benefit when you participate in ALS Focus. You won't see it tomorrow, but I am working very hard within ALS Focus to make sure that you see it the day after tomorrow. We're going to collect this data and use it as we have, but then we're also going to provide a feedback loop to everyone to help them understand how we're already beginning to use the information they've shared to make a difference. So there's, there's a feedback loop that we've created to help share this with folks that are participating. You won't have to take our word for it that we're helping you you'll see it. We want to thank you one more time, John, for joining us on Connecting ALS and for sharing thoughts about your work with the FOCUS program and as someone living with ALS and also a veteran, what you are bringing to the table for the ALS community. Thank you so much. Was there anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners before we sign off? Mike, thanks for the opportunity to, to be able to talk with everybody about what ALS FOCUS is doing. I think it's important work and I think that in the immediate future, we're going to show everybody that's participating how important it is. I would invite ALS patients to join me and participate in ALS Focus because your opinions actually matter and we're going to do something with them and we're going to turn them into action. Thank you, Mike. We're joined now on the phone by Laura Polari-Welbus. Thanks for being with us on Connecting ALS, Laura. Great. Nice to be with you today. We really appreciate you taking the time. We are discussing today the ALS Focus Survey Program. And Laura, you are a member of the Focus Patient and Caregiver Advisory Committee. Unfortunately, your family has been deeply impacted by ALS. Can you tell our listeners why this cause is important to you and why joining the advisory committee to focus felt like the right decision for you? Certainly. I lost my father to ALS 30 years ago, and he had a bulbar onset of ALS and lived for just six months after he was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And then later, I lost my sister Anne and my brother Kevin and my sister Jan all to ALS. Wow. So we've been involved as a family for a long time. And I talk about how people live with ALS for three to five years, but we've been living with it for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And sadly, my, my mom has lost her husband and three kids, but she's, oh, wow. she's doing great. She is a blessing for us all. So being part of the Focus Patient and Family Care Advisory Committee was a great opportunity to get more involved in ALS. Instead of just watching on the sidelines, I would go to advocacy days, but I made a, a goal for myself to get more involved and really use the knowledge that I've accumulated over the years and experiences I've had as being a caregiver. So it's a great way to to contribute back to the ALS community. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I'm 
certainly grateful that for folks like you stepping up and helping lead programs like this. We now have announced the results from the first survey, but looking back over the last several months, what are some of the learnings? What are some of the takeaways that will inform the FOCUS program going forward? Well, I think, you know, the FOCUS program has been great because we have a committee with different experiences and has been able to really bring a patient perspective to the kinds of questions that are, we're asking in the FOCUS surveys. So we just put out the data from the first round of surveys and have our second round of survey just going out now. And the data is, is building. And each time we are able to launch a survey, we can increase the number of participants. And having that that data really provides on-the-ground experiences of, of patients to influence programs and policies that could be offered. Yeah, that is certainly one of the, the huge benefits of having access to that data. And we've talked about with some other folks the collaborative nature of uh, the focus survey program and how using that data, providing it to insurance companies and ALS researchers and others will really help us shape the future of ALS care and support. Have you found, since you've gotten more involved on the committee side, the advisory committee side, that to be true, that it's really a, a collaborative environment? Yes, it's definitely, the collaboration is, is really key to it. And we know that if we can provide data to you know, the pharmaceutical companies that are investing money into research for a cure, we know if we can help give them more data, it's going to result in better treatments for all of the patients. Mm -hmm. And we know that by including FDA perspectives, that that is helpful and we're giving them valuable data and for the researchers. So I think it really is unique. But what is especially unique is that the summary data is available to the actual users of the survey. So if you complete a survey, you get access to the data and the survey results are available to everybody. There's a, a summary of the survey results and they're, it's really interesting data. And I think it's important for patients and caregivers to realize they're part of a community. They're not, they're not alone and their experience, mm -hmm. experiences are different and that's why the surveys are important, but they're, they're not unique and we can learn things about you know, just in the last survey about the financial stress of, from ALS, one of the findings was that there was a lot of stress related to understanding health insurance coverage. That was the biggest stressor. So I thought that was really interesting. And mm -hmm. I think for somebody who is a patient or a caregiver to realize that, oh, wow, I'm not the only one. And then for the association to realize that that's an area that they can really take some action on. That was an eye-opening data point coming out of that first survey. And, you know, you mentioned the data collection component of this. And, you know, data, of course, requires participation. And, I, you know, I've heard from people with ALS, uh, you know, wanting to get engaged in the fight and figuring out what role can I play? How can I help, as you say? What would you say to someone looking to engage to convince them that participating in focus is an important way to contribute to the fight? Well, it certainly is important and it only takes a, a few minutes to get your profile set up and then to take part in one of the focus surveys. And it's building that whole understanding 
and understanding the breadth and the depth of, of the experiences is just so valuable. It's valuable to the community and it's valuable to the researchers. And if we can provide information that helps those who are developing treatments and cures, it's going to improve it for everybody. Mm-hmm. I think of the old axiom, knowledge is power, and that certainly applies in this case. The more we know, the better equipped we'll be to bring an end to right. this disease. Yep. And Laura, you are the leader of a nonprofit in Arlington focused on meeting the educational and social needs of adults over 50. What about your experience and expertise in that area have you brought to your role in, in helping guide the FOCUS program? In that role, I understand a lot of the user experiences, and I've worked a lot also with surveys and data analysis, but also bringing an understanding of questions and how they can be phrased to recognize different perspectives. So we need more people to complete the survey, and it really doesn't take very long to to set it up. And you don't have to answer questions. You can you can simply say, I do, do not want to respond, and, and that's okay. So it doesn't feel invasive at all. That's a good point. That's a really good point. I think there's often hesitance for all of us when you start to, to go down that survey path, you know, how long is this going to be and what sort of questions are they going to ask and is my data going to be secure? And the FOCUS program has really done a good job of eliminating a lot of those barriers and encouraging people to participate so that we can uh, learn. That's right. And I think we'll really help get the word out if other patients and caregivers let their friends and family know, you know, when they go to support groups and they're on social media to let them know that it's worthwhile to take the time and complete the focus surveys. And listeners of this podcast, I mean, you know, here's an opportunity to speak directly to the community. You know, what message would you have for someone who is sitting on the fence and thinking, do I have time for this? Is is this the best way for me to get engaged? You know, talk directly to that person and let them know how, how they can help. Well, one of the really fabulous pieces about the focus survey is that it can be completed by the patient or by the caregiver. And a lot of times caregivers don't really get heard. And so it's a great opportunity for them to submit the information as well. And it only takes a few minutes to set up the profile and then complete the sections. And the data will provide researchers and the association the ability to advocate for better programs and policies that will make a difference for ALS patients. Thank you again for joining us, Laura. Really, really insightful to have you on to talk about your involvement with the FOCUS program and why others should get involved. Really, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. It's really nice to be with you this afternoon. Well, thank you again to our three guests, Dr. Sarah Parvanta, John Robinson, and Laura Polari-Welvis, all associated with the ALS FOCUS program. Again, head on over to the show notes, learn how you can get involved in ALS FOCUS surveys going forward, and to learn more about the first round of results. We'll share some news in the show notes about that as well. This definitely won't be the last time you hear about ALS FOCUS on this podcast, and we look forward to hearing more from Dr. Parvanta and her team when the next round of data comes back. 
That's going to conclude our show for this week. Here is my standard plug about subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts or at connectingals.org. But this time around, I will mention that you can also find episodes at the newly revamped association website, als.org. So we encourage you to check us out there as well. You can find us on social media at Facebook and Twitter if you have questions or feedback. We always love hearing from you on those channels too. This episode was produced by Garrett Tiedemann of the Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota chapter. Thank you all for listening to the show. We'll connect with you again soon.